Well, good afternoon. It is a real pleasure to be here with you today, and it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to speak. I have been blessed by this conference. I wasn't able to be here yesterday, but I was here Friday night, and I was so encouraged. And I am so grateful to Pastor Jeff and for Christ Fellowship Bible Church for putting this on. You know, in our day, not many churches want to talk about biblical prophecy. I know pastors who have told me, I don't ever touch prophecy. I'm just afraid to talk about it because it's so difficult to understand it. It's so controversial. But beloved, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write these prophecies for us so that we would know the truth about the future. And these prophecies were written uh, not to just stimulate our imaginations, but they were written so that we would be able to have faith during difficult times, so that we would be able to have hope even when everything goes wrong. And also these prophecies, according to Peter and Second Peter, they were written to motivate us to be pure and spotless and holy as we await the culmination of all things. So I am so grateful uh, to be here, and I'm so grateful that all of you are here. Now, I've been assigned to teach about the abomination of desolation, and I'm going to be looking first uh, with you at Matthew 24, 15, if you want to turn there. Matthew 24, 15. Now, the word abomination might conjure up a lot of different definitions in people's minds. You know, when I think of abomination, and I'm going to offend everyone here, that there's something that society is totally on board with, that there's something that, that even uh, churches celebrate once in a while, macaroni and cheese. That is an abomination. I don't know how you people eat macaroni and cheese. I know everybody loves it, but when I look at it, I, I literally get sick thinking about all the times that I've had to eat it at meals just to be polite. It's slimy. It's just, it's an abomination. And if you don't believe me, try to serve some in Italy. And they will tell you that this is an abomination. But you know, you may think of something else. When I taught school, I had a colleague who thought glitter was an abomination. I mean, think about it. You get that glitter in your classroom, it is never coming out. I mean, it lasts longer than any element on earth. And, and it's, it's just, it's more deadly. I mean, 20 years later, you know, if glitter is unleashed in your classroom, you will still be finding it in your hair, in your beard, on your clothes. It never, ever goes away. It seems to multiply. I mean, when you think of abomination, you may think of traffic on 270 during rush hour. But all of these cases, we're using the word abomination really lightly. In Scripture... The word abomination describes something that is profoundly disgusting. Something that is absolutely abhorrent. An abomination in scripture is something that is that ought to provoke our profoundest hatred. It's something malignantly evil. It's something grossly obscene. The word abomination appears more than 100 times in the Old Testament, and it appears multiple times in the New, and in every case, the word is used to describe either a violation of God's holy law 
And it's most often associated with the practice of idolatry and with the things that were used to practice idolatry. But we're not just talking about abominations in general. Our goal is to understand a specific abomination, the abomination of desolation. It can also be translated the abomination that makes desolate. And Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, in Matthew 24, 15, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are out in his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as had not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. This abomination of desolation, it's something surprisingly terrible. It's something very, very fierce. And when those who believe Jesus' words see this, they are to flee. You know, we've learned in our conference, there will be people saved uh, during the tribulation. And this event is going to happen midway through the tribulation. And the people who have believed the words of Jesus, they are to run. Now, once in a while in our society, we're told to flee. We're told to run. You know, I grew up here in St. Louis, and you know, you get the... uh, tornado warning on TV, and they say immediately go to your basement, and you know, most St. Louisans look out the window, (laughs) Uh, they go out on the porch, (laughs) you know, well, you know, I'm not sure that it's coming, you know, we, we don't really take it very seriously, unfortunately, because we're so used to them, and until we hear, you know, the the wind really blowing mightily, then that's when we might go to the basement. You know, I lived in in both New Orleans and in North Carolina. In both places, we were subject to hurricane warnings all the time. And there were marked hurricane routes out of the city. And, you know, they'd come on the news and they'd say, well, the hurricane is, you know, 10 miles away or something like that. And the people down there that live down there, well, that's when they might go out and start boarding up their windows. That's, my, that's when they might start packing the house. Nobody who's from there gets really excited about it because you've lived through them before. But this event is so terrible that no one who has any wisdom from God at all will wait even a second. Listen to what Jesus says. How quickly are they to flee? They're not, take, they're not to take time to gather their belongings. If you're on the housetop, don't go down to get the things out that are in the house. Now, you know, Jewish houses back in the first century, there was usually a a main level and there was like a, a, a roof, you know, a portico where you could sit. And you went up there during the, the, the cool, you know, evenings and things like that to, to escape the heat of the day. You're not even to go down into the house again. That's like, you know, I'm upstairs. I'm not to go down to the first floor to get out the front door. I'm just to run from housetop to housetop if I have to, to get away. That's how urgent this is. And if you've got a coat in the field, you can't go back and get it. And he says, woe to those who are pregnant. 
and those who are nursing babies. Why? Boy, it's really hard to run when you're pregnant, especially when you're, as the Bible says, great with child, you know, in those last, last days before the baby comes. And, and how do you run while holding a nursing child? I mean, this is going to be a terrible, terrible thing. And then he says, and pray that your flight will not be in winter. You know, it gets cold in Israel in the wintertime. I've been there. They have ice and snow sometimes too. And you know, you don't want to have to get away. You don't want to have to flee if the roads are icy. And then he says, and pray that it won't be on a Sabbath. Well, why a Sabbath? Well, because this happens in Judea. Remember, the instruction is let all who are in Judea flee. That's where the persecution that's going to flow out of the abomination of desolation begins. And if you're in Judea, you have to flee. And you know, Judea is filled with Orthodox Jews. And they don't like it when you run on the Sabbath. I mean, if you watch the news, they're fighting in Israel right now over whether or not the trains and the buses should be able to run on the Sabbath. You run through an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood on the Sabbath in modern-day Israel, you're going to get hurt. Someone's going to stop you. And you're certainly going to stand out from the crowd. You're not going to be able to hide in, in any kind of you know, group of people leaving. And the reason why you have to flee so quickly is because this is such a horrific event that it unleashes, Jesus says, a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. Think of all of the human tragedies that this world has experienced since the fall. The flood of Noah won't compare to this. Pharaoh murdering every male Israelite baby won't compare to this. The Babylonian captivity where the Jews were taken away by hooks in their mouths That won't compare to this. And think about modern times. The Holocaust won't compare to this. It is a great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. This abomination that happens in the middle of the tribulation... This is a fearsome event. And we've already looked at the various judgments that God is pouring out on his people during the last days. This is going to be a very, very bad time. Now notice Jesus says that this abomination of desolation is spoken of through Daniel the prophet. It's spoken of through Daniel the prophet. And Daniel refers to this abomination of desolation three times. If you want to turn there, you can look with me at Daniel 9.27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel says, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering." And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. 
Now turn a few pages over and look at chapter 11, verse 31. Daniel speaks of this abomination of desolation again. He says, forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Now one more passage before we comment on what Daniel has to say. Look at chapter 12, verse 11, please. Chapter 12, verse 11. Daniel says, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. So you remember, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying. And he's praying in a way that all of us should pray. He was praying as he was reading through Scripture. He was praying, responding to Scripture. And he was reading the prophet Jeremiah who says that 70 years are determined for Judah to be in captivity. And then he looks at his calendar and he says, you know what? It's been almost 70 years. And he's immediately compelled to pray. And he's praying that God would do a work in the people of Judah so that they would actually go back to the promised land and be faithful to God. And he confesses their national sins and he asks God to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Not for the sake of the Jews who don't deserve it, Daniel says but for the sake of God, whose name is attached to the city and to the temple. And as he's praying, an angel comes and delivers Daniel a prophecy that starts with that day and it goes forward till the end of time. What a privilege for for Daniel to have insight into God's plan for the world. But but there, there are three times here he speaks of the abomination of desolation. And I want you to notice there's a very important pronoun that appears in each one. Him. Well, I'm sorry, in the first two, him and he. So who is the him that Daniel is referring to? Now, if you were here last night, you know that this is the Antichrist. This is the man of lawlessness. But you need to understand that when Daniel writes this, God is giving Daniel... Not only a preview of the far-flung future that still is yet to come, but God was, also prophesi- God was also giving Daniel a word about something that was going to happen in the very near future. And almost all commentators agree that when Daniel speaks in these three passages about the abomination of desolation, there, there's, or, I'm sorry, when, when Daniel speaks in chapter 11 and in chapter 12 about the abomination of desolation, He's speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek king of Syria. His real name was Antiochus V. He chose for himself the name Epiphanes. It means God manifest. God manifested. I mean, you know, this guy didn't have a self-esteem problem. I mean, he really believed that he should be worshipped as God. He rules the Jewish people for about 10 years during the 2nd century B.C. And during that time, it was his goal to wipe out Jewish religion and culture. And he was vicious. He forbade Jewish boys being circumcised. Uh, He forbade Jewish dress. Uh, He took Jewish children and he forced them out of their homes where they were taught by their parents 
And he forced them into gymnasiums where they were taught Greek philosophy and Greek culture and idol worship. He also made the young people compete in Olympic-style games naked. He did everything he could to break the Jewish attachment to the law of God. He forbade Hebrew being taught. Students were only allowed to be taught Greek. He wanted to wipe out these people culturally and religiously. And moreover, he slaughtered thousands of Jewish men. And he sold countless Jewish women and children into slavery. Now, during his reign, he committed a great abomination. He went into the temple in Jerusalem. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. And then he set up a statue of Zeus and he commanded the Jewish priest to eat the pork from the pig that had been sacrificed. You know, for the Jewish people, this is an abomination. And you know what? It made the temple desolate. You know, our Jewish friends just celebrated Hanukkah recently. And Hanukkah is the the celebration of a miracle that God did so that the temple would would be restored and, and be able to be fit for worship again, to be cleansed. But until then, the temple is desolate. No one can worship God there or offer a sacrifice there, according to the Jewish law, because it has been defiled. Now, this sacrilege was a great sacrilege. It was a great abomination. But like many Old Testament prophecies, there's a near-term fulfillment that points to something farther flung. And Daniel is not only seeing this deed of Antiochus Epiphanes, but Daniel 9 makes it pretty clear that he's also looking forward to the Antichrist, the man of sin. And we can see in Jesus' words that Jesus isn't talking about some past event when he says, when you see the abomination of of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He's not talking about something that happened way back when. When you see, future tense, this abomination, it's something still coming. And how do we know what to look for? Well, it's going to be similar to what Antiochus Epiphanes did. But it's going to be something far, far greater. He says, when you see it, when you see it. So we need to ask a question. Has this abomination of desolation happened in the days since Daniel? Have they happened in the days since Jesus spoke these words? Well, it may surprise you to know that if you ask our amillennial and postmillennial friends, 99% of them will say, absolutely, this has already happened. As a matter of fact, I was reading a sermon a week or so ago in preparation for this, and it was by a man who graduated from Puritan Theological Seminary. And he says, quote, it is the height of biblical ignorance to think that the abomination of desolation did not already occur. So when did they say it happened? Well, they say it happened in the year 70 when the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem And his troops ultimately burnt down the temple against his orders. And many, many Jewish people were driven from Judea. And they say, well, see, the temple was destroyed. That was a great evil. The Jewish people were driven out. There was no more worship. The temple's desolate. So that's the abomination of desolation. However, I would say to you 
that what Titus did really doesn't match what the Bible tells us to expect when the abomination of desolation occurs. And you say, well, what Titus did, that was certainly horrible. Well, yeah, it was an abomination, but first I would draw your attention to Matthew 24, 21. We read that earlier. Jesus says that this abomination of desolation is going to give way to a great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now, I think even our modern-day Jewish friends would agree that what Titus did pales in comparison to what Hitler did. You know, Titus wasn't trying to commit genocide. He was just, you know, breaking an unruly nation. He didn't send his troops to the four corners of the earth to hunt down every Jew and to kill them. He didn't try to wipe out Judaism. He just wanted to subjugate a city. I mean, what he did was evil. It was monstrous. But it certainly didn't unleash the greatest tribulation that has occurred since the beginning of the world until now. So, so first of all, that doesn't meet the, the biblical record or the biblical, uh, you know, information that we're giving, that we were given. But, but next, consider that Daniel tells us that the abomination of desolation is going to happen in the middle of a discernible seven-year period. If you look back at Daniel 9, 27, he says, and he will make a firm covenant. That's the Antichrist. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And this is a week of years. So this is seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years later, he's going to put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come the one who makes desolate, even a complete destruction. So... Titus didn't make a seven-year covenant with the Jews. Caesar in Rome didn't make a seven-year covenant with the Jews. And there was no three and a half years in for Titus to suddenly decide, hey, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem and burn down the temple. This is going to happen in the middle of a discernible period of time that begins with the Antichrist bringing peace to Israel. And three and a half years later, for whatever reason... He's going to turn on them because he's inspired by the devil. He's filled with evil and he wants to destroy the people of God. Next, both Daniel and Jesus tell us that the abomination of desolation will happen in the temple. It's going to happen in the temple. Uh, Daniel 11.31, we we read, says, Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. They're going to set it up in the temple fortress. They're going to set it up in the temple. Now, Josephus, who's a pretty reliable first century historian, tells us that Titus made a brief tour through the temple And he was probably planning some kind of wickedness for it later, but his troops disobeyed him and they were so angry at the Jewish people, they burned it down. Titus never had an opportunity to set up any kind of desecration in the temple. It's clear that he didn't like the temple. It's clear that he would have desecrated it at some point, but he didn't have a chance. And moreover, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15, that the person who commits this abomination will be standing in the holy place. Do you hear him? 
And when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand, in the holy place. This is going to happen in the temple. And again, that doesn't jive with what Titus did. Next, consider that Daniel tells us in Daniel 9.27 that at the end of the week, at the end of that seven-year period in which the abomination is committed, the one who commits it is going to be cut off. Look at the end of Daniel 9.27. The one who does this horrible deed, he's going to be cut off. It says, on the wing of abominations will come the one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. You know, Titus went on to become the emperor of Rome, Caesar. He lived more than 13 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. So again, it can't be Titus. Now, I'd like you to turn to one more place with me. I'm almost done, but look with me, if you would, at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul gives us some additional insight into what this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, is going to do. And I believe that he's describing here in 2 Thessalonians for us exactly what this abomination of desolation is going to look like. And we're going to see exactly what it is that he does that is so evil. He says, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure to be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, but it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes And exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's what he's going to do. And by the way, that really does fit with what Antiochus Epiphanes did. Because Antiochus Epiphanes believed that he was Zeus in the flesh. Remember, he sets up an altar of Zeus and offers sacrifices to it. The Antichrist is going to demand that he be worshipped as God. And that's why believing Jews need to flee when they see that this happens in Judea. When the Antichrist goes into the future temple and desecrates it in this way, there, there is no time to plan a strategy. There is no time to think about, do you have enough socks in your suitcase? You're going to run. You're going to run. The man of lawlessness isn't going to tolerate anyone who does not worship him. Now, I want you to notice back in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus says about these things, or maybe it's Matthew. There's a little bit of debate about the parentheses. Let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Why? Because not only is there going to be a judgment against the faithful, at the hand of the Antichrist. But God's judgment is going to be poured out upon the wicked. And if you don't belong to Christ, there's no hope for you once the abomination of desolation takes place. 
Paul says in verse 6 of Second Thessalonians, And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And that lawless, that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance, by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with, activ- with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding spirit so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Listen, I can't tell you when the abomination of desolation is going to occur. I know the church won't be here. But if you're not really born again, if you're not part of the church, you need to repent. Let the reader understand all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. We, we've defiled God's holy laws. We deserve death for eternity. The time to believe in Christ is now. You know, don't be deceived by the, the kind of the, the plot of the left behind books that all these people who grew up in church and hearing the gospel all their lives but never were born again. Now all of a sudden the church is gone and all these bad things are happening. And they say, you know what? I remember what grandma told me. I'd better believe in Jesus. I don't think there's going to be an option for that. Because Paul says those people that are left, they're going to be given over to a deluding spirit so as to believe the lie of the Antichrist. That tells me the time of salvation for you is today. You need to trust Jesus. He can give you forgiveness. He can give you life. He's risen. He's coming again. You need to trust him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. That you've given us insight into these great and mighty truths. And that we see your glory and your power on display in what's going to take place at the end. And God, I pray that if there's anyone who's been attending this conference and they've never really been born again. I I pray that this would motivate them to come to Jesus now. And that it would motivate the rest of us who are Jesus's to live holy and pure lives in anticipation of all that he's going to bring to pass. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.